Hello, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back again for another episode of the History Comics Podcast, this time with the life of Calvin Levi Massey. While it is frustrating in this series of black comic book artists over how much racism and bigotry many of them faced, seeing how they overcome such adversity along with helping others along the way is encouraging. A prime example of this is the story of William Massey, who uh, worked at a college that wouldn't admit black students, but whose own son would later be an honored artist who gave showings there. His son's name was Calvin Levi Massey, a talented artist who would also make his mark on the comic book world. Calvin Levi Massey was born on February 10, 1926 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the son of William Ann Massey and Mildred uh, Bessie Mayo. His father, William, moved from Maryland to Philadelphia in the early 1900s as part of the Great Migration, when six million Southern blacks moved to the northeast of the United States. It was there he would meet his wife, Bessie, as she liked to be called. William got a job at Swarthmore College, a private co-ed liberal arts school founded by Quakers that also denied blacks permission to attend, though William would raise to the rank of assistant chef at the school. He would split from his wife, Bessie, in the 1930s and eventually moved to Detroit. Calvin Massey's mother and his three siblings would move in with Raymond Harris and Morton and then later move to Darby outside of Philadelphia. While Bessie lived as husband and wife with Raymond Harris and her children, and even went by the last name Harris, it is unknown if they ever actually married. Bessie would get a job as a private maid to help support the family, which had grown to eight in total, and while money was tight, she encouraged her children to pursue their interests, such as music and, in Calvin's case, art. Calvin Massey showed an early ability in art as early as four years old, tracing Sunday comics and making drawings to impress his mother. She was, and gave him a box of crowns to encourage this talent. Massey also loved music growing up and was part of the Darby Ford Junior Quartet in 1941 with his three brothers. The group would sing at the First Baptist Church where their grandfather, Edward Mayo, served as a deacon while his youngest sister, Bessie Eleanor, played piano. Massey later became a jazz pianist and at a Philadelphia show performed with the legendary singer Aretha Franklin. On another occasion, Calvin managed to squeeze in his art skills when he sketched fellow performer Johnny Cochran. Calvin continued to pursue his artistic skills, and while attending Darby High School, he met identical twins who were both artists and ambidextrous, which challenged Calvin to further improve his talent. Massey joined the U.S. Army Air Force on April 3, 1944, after completing three years of high school, as he had just turned 18. He was first assigned to Kessler Field in Biloxi, Mississippi, where he was trained as an airplane mechanic, before being transferred to Victorville Army Air Base in California. Massey would later be transferred to Truett Field in Madison, Wisconsin, where he received additional training as a radio technician. He was discharged in 1946 from the Army Air Force with the rank of corporal at the age of 20. Massey later went to the Hussein School of Art in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on the GI Bill. The school was founded by John Hussein, a local Philadelphia painter of national renown, who opened a vocational school aimed at educating veterans returning from serving in World War II, along with accepting students of all races. There, Massey met an excellent teacher, Leonard Nelson, who took a special interest in Massey, recognizing his talent as an artist. Nelson himself was considered one of the top artists in Philadelphia at the time, developing a unique form of abstract expressionist paints, so he knew his stuff. Working with the school's founder, John Houston, Nelson developed a special program just for Massey, having him concentrate on life drawings, composition, and illustration. It would pay off as Massey was regularly recognized as one of the best draftsmen at the school. 
Massey would also meet Joe Manley at the Hussein School of Art, a fellow aspiring comic book artist, and they would become fast friends, sending off ideas to one another. Manley would himself have a brief but brilliant career at Timely Comics, the future Marvel, before his unfortunate death on June 7, 1958, at the age of just 32. In 1949, Massey was still in school when he made his first comic book sale to Cross Publications, which was owned by Harold Crossman and Edward Bobley. There, he did two stories for Perfect Crime No. 2 and later do Super Circus and Uncle Milty about the iconic community in Milton Borough. He would soon become Cross Publications' most reliable artist, working alongside Bob Powell, another talented Golden Age artist who co-created the Blackhawks in Military Comics No. 1 in August 1941. However, Massey would fire his agent when he found out he was being cheated, as he had never had direct contact with Cross Publications but through just his agent. Nearing graduation from Hussein School, Massey had a talk with a friend, Joe Manley, about what to do next, who recommended he go to see the editor-in-chief of Timely, Stan Lee, in New York City, the center of the comic book industry at the time. It would be a fateful decision. Massey took Manley's advice and went to New York City with another friend, Samuel R. Joyner, another comic book artist and World War II veteran who studied at the Philadelphia Museum Art School of Industry Art. There, they met fellow black comic book artists like Matt Baker, Ted Shearer, who created the uh, comic strip Quincy in the 1970s, one of the first Main Street strips to star a black character, and Mel Bolden. All of them gave advice on how to break into the industry, with Baker in particular showing him some of his own pages and giving tips on how to approach assignments. In addition, the publisher uh, Baker worked for was, at the time, St. John's, who would publish Massey's first comic book work in Teenage Diary Secrets No. 8 of February 1950 and the story Hijacker of Hearts. That same year, Massey joined the Lesbieu Arts Club, a cultural society where Massey was able to develop his fine art skills along with established connections in the art, larger artistic community. Massey would eventually work for Timely under Stanley, though it nearly didn't happen when they first met. According to Massey, when he first met Stanley, Lee said Massey's in the cold, cold ground and called him Messy Massey, which is probably just an early indication of how Lee liked to give everyone nicknames. However, Massey took it as an insult, especially since he recognized Lee was referencing the 1852 Stephen Foster song, Masses in the, in the Cold Ground, which is unapologetically racist. And he got up to leave. However, Lee stopped him and said, Massey, get your ass back here. How many stories can you turn out in a month? According to Massey, after hearing that, Stanley could call him whatever he wanted. This incident aside, Lee was noted at Timely to regularly employ black artists, a rarity for comic book publishers. It had a long history of fighting bigotry and racism in both comic books and public announcements. Yet another reason why he is still Stan the Man, Lee. At Timely, Massey did Spellbound, Marines in War, and Navy Tales with Samuel Joyner, helping in others and helping in order to meet the deadlines. Massey's comic book career would end in 1956 following the comic book crash, much of it brought on by criticism of the industry by Dodrick Frederick Warfarin and his 1954 book, The Seduction of the Innocent, which led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority, CCA, that severely restricted the content in comic books. With his options limited, Massey uh, went to J Publishing's company to publish art for a magazine like After Hours, a ripoff of the men's magazine Playboy, in February 1957. Massey provided numerous risque cartoons, but because it was a magazine, it was outside the confines of the Comics Code Authority. Its publisher, James Warren Taubin, who would later become known as just James Warren in the 1960s, and would blaze a trail publishing black and white magazines like Creepy, Creepy and Vampirella. 
By the early 1960s, Massey was doing Pep Boy ads, providing the art for their colorful catalogs, but it was also commercial work that allowed Massey to preserve his fine art career. His personal life also picked up when he married in 1960 to his wife Isis, with the couple having two daughters, Ruth and Linda. In 1964, Massey did the LBJ coloring book written by Norman Miller under the Philadelphia Gem Publishing Company, which is told from the perspective of her when President Lyndon Baines Johnson's dogs poking fun at him and his policies. The book would receive low marks for its satirical humor and apparently was not very effective as Johnson easily won re-election in 1964. Massey would later work for the National Commemorative Society where he designed medallions honoring the recent deceased General Douglas MacArthur. Around this time, he also learned to sculpt using his talents for the Franklin Mint, where he would work till 1976, doing over 200 designs. Also during the 1960s, Massey illustrated Christian faith-based book, children's books for local publishers, and in 1970, he drew the young adults books like When Harry Found When Lost He Lost Archie, which was featured blacks as main characters. During the 1970s, Massey also worked with, for Beach Advertising and did a series of calendars featuring black historical figures. In 1983, Massey did a series of prints from his uh, paintings for African Women in Perspective, one which was Asante Women, where he used his wife Isis as a model. In 1986, Massey's sculpting talent was put to use when he did the French West Indian-based relief depicting two French Indian women immigrating to America that was added to the Statue of Liberty Reservation Project. Massey also did the Patriots in Africa Descent Monument at Valley Forge, which depicted black Revolutionary War soldiers who served at Valley Forge. It was dedicated uh, June 19, 1993, leading to Massey having contributed to art pieces to two national landmarks in the United States. With his fame in fine arts growing, Massey would have numerous art showings, one notably at Swarthmore College in the 1980s, the same school his father worked at in the kitchens and denied black students until 1943. In 1996, Massey helped design the Olympic medals, which showed a black woman in the high jump, the first for the Olympics. Massey also produced illustrations for numerous other black-themed books, such as My First Kwanzaa with writer Deborah Newton Chocolate in 1999 and the famous African Women coloring book with writer Janet Blaine Copito in 2002, finding ways to use his art to advance black causes. Calvin Lee Massey passed away on June 10, 2019 at the age of 93. He once told an interviewer, I paint because I have to. It is my way of communicating with the world. That he certainly did, as Massey found a way to use his art to not only entertain, but to expand the black experience for the rest of the world. The fact that he would have showings at the very college his father worked at as a cook and blacks couldn't originally weren't admitted to is a testament to the great strides he made for black artists. Plus, Massey also made some great comic books along the way. I would like to thank the chief source for this episode, Invisible Men, the trailblazing black artist of comic books by King Quattro which has a fantastic biography of Calvin Levi Massey, along with numerous other black artists of the Golden Age. A must-read for any comic book fan. Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk! We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. 
woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot. Music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. And now it is June 17th, 2021. Time for the favorite comic of the week. Crush and Lobo, by number one by uh, Mariko Tamaki and Amakalea Namupan, which is a great new uh, eight-issue limited series starting out that stars Crush, the uh, teenage daughter of um, Lobo, the villainous bounty space bounty hunter Lobo, and also a current member of the Teen Titans, who's trying to balance life as a superhero while also trying to have a normal life with her girlfriend, though things tend to collide as normal superhero relationships do. Plus... Crush has literal and metaphorical daddy issues he's going to have to deal with before this uh, story ends up. So far, this is a great introductory uh, issue to character. You really don't have to know much about Crush to really start this issue. And uh, Tamaki does a great job with the writing, especially Crush's narration, which is hilarious. Like, they joke that the opening panel was just there because it looks cool, has nothing to do with the storyline. But also gets to do some deeper stuff, like how Crush desperately wants to have a nice, normal relationship with her girlfriend, but uh, she just uh, ends up being being her own worst enemy. As, as I said before, she's got some, well... Daddy issues, well, when your dad's Lobo, you're going to have some issues. That's, that's, what can you do about that? And it's matched perfectly by Novel Pen's a great, gorgeous art, which has a nice cartoony feel, but a nice gritty feel, too. Like, almost like a nice balance between the humor and the drama that goes with Tamaki's story. Which, so, yeah, Crush and Lobo, great uh, read, and, uh, you know, perfect for uh, June, which is uh, Pride Month. And, it's, you know, nice to have uh, more LGBTQ characters represented in comic books, and Crush is a great example. So, yeah, Crush and Lobo, number one. Favorite comic book of the week, and yeah, a few weeks old, just finally got to it, but well worth the wait. And uh, with that, we now conclude uh, my series on the great uh, black artists and comic books of the Golden Age. I want to once again thank the great book Invisible Men by Ken Quattro, which was the source for all, which is the chief source for all those uh, episodes. Uh, if you have a chance, do pick it up. If we'll go for a much more deep dive into the readings so over like that. But yeah, great read. And but uh, we'll still be continuing with uh, the season four. So join me again next week. We'll be doing a new biography of a great comic book legend. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself. A good comic book. <laughs>